0: This week, we have Stephanie Janini on the show. Stephanie has a lot of experience studying self-help and leadership, and it really comes through in this episode. Stephanie takes us a lot deeper than a lot of conversations about leadership typically do. This is the perfect time for this interview. So many people are experiencing challenges in leadership that they've never dealt with before. If you want to know how to lead effectively through difficult times, how to make space for other people's concerns and trauma this year, even though you have your own, you definitely want to tune in to this entire conversation. All right, let's get started school nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind now you're ready for your academics focus time to handle business breakfast you don't want to miss it help your body to replenish clean food clear mind that is the vision tune in to the school nutrition dietitian Hey Stephanie. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
0: I saw you present at ANC, not this year, obviously, because there I'm, wasn't one, so but bad. the year prior. And I just loved how dynamic your presentation was. And you brought up a lot of things about leadership when it comes to age diversity in the workplace that I hadn't really thought about because every other presentation I've ever been to about how you deal with the age gaps among your employees Mm -hmm. was from the perspective of someone born in the fifties or sixties, not from the perspective of the person born in the eighties or nineties. So it was refreshing and interesting to hear another perspective because I'm all about diversity for that very reason. It isn't that other people are wrong. It's that you can only see life through the lens that you have, which is based on your lived experience. And when you hear from different people, you hear things that are just refreshing and insightful. So it was a really great presentation.
1: Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you.
0: So tell us about your background as far as how you came to be a leader in school nutrition and what you're most passionate about right now.
1: So it's actually interesting. I always say I fell into this field. I when so I went to Arizona State and I got a bachelor's in food nutrition management. And so it basically combined nutrition with the business aspect. And I actually graduated a semester early and I didn't want to go home yet back to Illinois because all my friends were still there. So there was an opportunity to be a school nutrition specialist intern for paradise valley unified school district so it was paid full time you worked 900 hours so i was like hey it's a job i applied i got it i had no idea what the school nutrition field was going through that whole program i mean i don't think of anyone if you if you don't work in the field you don't know you have no idea so i kind of fell into it and then i moved back home and it's as people do know as well, it's sometimes hard to find jobs in school nutrition because they're people stay in their roles for a long time or so kind of, yeah. And Illinois specifically has a lot of management companies, which makes it a little bit harder if you want to do self op. So I remember I was working like three part time jobs, I kind of just gave up, and I actually was starting to apply to take some classes to get become an RD because I just had this blanket, school nutri- uh not school nutrition, blanket, food nutrition management degree. So while I was doing that, I remember I would still look for jobs, look for jobs. And then like assistant director for a school district popped up and I, it was like fate. So I got my, I, the deadline was in five days. I, I was scrambling to get all my like letters of recommendation. And so I, now I got the job. I work in Markwood School District 15 in Glendale Heights. I've been there for over four and a half years now. So it, it's a small district. And then we also have contracts with neighboring districts. So I have three districts total that I work with. But through that, I one thing I love about the school nutrition field is the professional development. I feel like it's no other industry, I feel like, compares to the way they focus, at least from what I've heard from friends who work in other industries our conferences, the push for professional development, all the the podcasts, the, all the innovative ways people are are coming out with how to train people and promote people and um, grow people is just so, I feel like advanced and prioritized in this field. So through that, I started to get into some of like the public speaking and the educational piece. And so I have a strong passion around personal development. I'm a self-help book junkie i love them so i kind of saw this um, parallel between self awareness and leadership and so i really focused on self awareness in a personal sense but i i thought wow this actually is very applicable in leadership so that's where the self awareness class came about and it did really well in the state level and then i um, performed it at, performed it at um <laughs> anc and so it was so funny because after that in the state level my boss had kind of sprinkled a little seed in my mind and thought, she said, you know, you're really passionate about that. Is there some type of certification or degree you could get in that? So I never thought about going back to school. So I researched and I ended up, I'm almost done. I'm done maybe in like a week and a half with my master's in organizational leadership and learning from George Washington University. Thank you. It's been very tough, but one of the most rewarding experiences I've had as far as personal growth and education. And so I really found this strong passion for leadership. So right now, that's what I'm very passionate about. And I have to say this whole pandemic, everything going on, the social movements is a great is a great way to observe different types of leadership and how leadership can be better and how to practice it in my own realm. So yeah, that's pretty much my, my whole story in a short bit from just graduating college early to now, so. Oh, that's awesome
0: that you just let your actual work experience lead the way as far as what you wanted to focus on with education. Mm -hmm. Did you decide that being an RD wasn't really the fit for what you really wanted to do in work?
1: Well, what is so funny is, and this just goes to show how we just grow throughout life experiences. I went through a very... Um, long phase of my life where I was very nutrition focused, the science behind nutrition. I, I was a personal trainer at one point. And so I really, I actually, I wanted to switch my degree to dietetics in my undergrad. And my counselor told me I was so far behind in science and basically told me I wasn't probably going to get an internship, even if I did. I remember I was in tears. I was like, I thought you're supposed to help me. And so (laughs) everything worked out for the better because she was like, try this degree. Your business classes will carry over as such. So when I thought, I thought there's no way I'll be able to get into a school district without having my RD. And what's interesting is the position I'm in now, RD was preferred and the person before me did have an RD. But since I had my school nutrition specialist internship, that was very unique. And as you know, school nutrition's its own beast; it's its own type Absolutely. of nutrition. So it's funny. So I've kind of gotten away from the nutrition aspect and being in a leadership role. Very young, I started—you know, twenty-two—in my role. That was my first time managing people. I remember felt being so insecure about it because the people I'm leading are much older than me, much more experienced than me. I'm learning from them, honestly, more than they're learning from me. And so I ended up realizing I this passion for leadership kind of developed through that. So I kind of I, I still focus on the nutrition aspects in my role, but my boss always says, she's like, you're the people person. I'll let you handle this. You know, she, she comes to me a lot of times says, how would you word this? How would you say this? So I've gotten a lot of experience in that aspect because she lets me grow in that area. And so it's just funny because I was so hyper-focused on nutrition and now I'm more, I'm, I'm more focused on people now in the realm of nutrition. (laughs)
0: Well, that's really interesting because when I look at just how much nutrition knowledge you really need as far as the science and metabolism when it comes to eating well or serving the general population when it comes to eating well, Mm -hmm. it's not necessary because when things are going well in the body, the more you intervene, the more problems you cause.
1: Very true. So.
0: If you don't want to work with people who are ill or who have Mm -hmm. like some kind of uh, genetic, well, like an inborn error of metabolism. I was trying to think of a more like (laughs) regular person way to say that. But if you don't have some special illness that affects your diet, you don't need all that. Mm -hmm. So even though we do also serve our kids that have special health problems, nine times out of 10, that isn't who we're serving. And our general content, that isn't who we're targeting. So I love that degrees kind of around health do seem to help as far as how much you understand that having a healthy staff can really help with productivity. But when it comes to nutrition, like you said, it's its own animal. Mm -hmm. And we need a variety of educational backgrounds to be whole. So, 100%. Yeah, definitely. And then also anyone who has, has gone through the process of getting the internship and all that placement and everything. I mean, unless they're still <laughs> lying to themselves, <laughs> they <laughs> they would say you made the right decision. Because it's yeah. just so, it's got a lot, a lot of issues. And yeah. there's a little bit of a gap between, what do you really need to know to go into the workforce and be strong Mm -hmm. versus what we're still measuring and focusing on? I was fortunate because my internship was very, very practical because Mm it was only for people who were already in the workforce. So you had to be an employee of the public health department in the state of Georgia to even apply. So it wasn't as airy fairy as some of these other programs are when you see these new dietitians try and interact with real humans and they sound like a textbook. Yeah. They have no concept of what is relevant to a real live person.
1: Yes. <laughs> well, has
0: to go to analysis, but they also have a job like, and they also have a life like there's a yes. real gap there.
1: Totally. And what's so interesting is I do find I, a lot of my classes in undergrad, I, I was with dietetic students. We, a lot of our classes crossover, over. Cross over. Yeah, that's right. And so they, what's really interesting that I found is a lot of them were very disappointed. They didn't, they thought it was going to be something different than it was. Mm -hmm. They, I think they, a lot of people went into it wanting to just work the more, I think they wanted to go more the wellness, nutrition, wellness, fitness route. And they, when they got bombarded with the science and the nitty gritty. And I think I, since I wasn't extremely strong in science, that's why my counselor kind of told me, <laughs> eh, you might not want to do this, but it is funny. Cause I think, you know, I've seen some people who now they're, they, if you were to recommend, especially in school nutrition, it isn't necessarily necessary. It's necessary. It's definitely very valuable. I feel like it's very valuable, especially on the industry side, because that science is very heavy. But yeah, it's 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 interesting now how it's going as far as who's choosing to get an RD and who's not. I still wish I had it sometimes. My boss has it. So it it is valuable to have multiple people with different backgrounds because yeah. anything super heavy or super in-depth with like a student who has a special dietary need, she can totally handle that and we can trust her. Something, I can handle the basics. Like I know what has gluten in it and what doesn't. <laughs> Right.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely helpful to have people with different strong points. Cause when I worked in the public health department, it, it's different all over the country, but in mm-hmm. the area that I was in, they only hired people with degrees in nutrition and they only promoted RDs to the management level positions.
1: Oh, and we
0: were majorly lacking in like accounting skills,
1: Mm -hmm. leadership
0: skills. And there were other people who had different qualifications that wanted the leadership positions and they weren't eligible. And I think Uh, it was, it, it was a real weak point there. So again, with the diversity in educational backgrounds and age levels, really making your organization stronger, that's, that's huge.
1: Yeah, it's valuable. And I do think leadership in general is just picking up steam. It's especially in today's world, today's climate, it, with social media, everything's the truth always comes out with what's going on behind organizations, and bad leaders can't hide anymore. And people mm-hmm. are seeing the effects of bad leadership. So I think leadership skills are now being expected of people, and even not in not in traditional leadership roles. Everyone's being looked to to be a leader now. And that's kind of my whole big push is that everyone's a leader in some capacity. It's not a job description. It's not a role. It's Everyone needs to be a leader. You, when we, Myself with my coworkers, you have to lead. Those above me, those below me, we all have to lead in certain aspects with our families, with our friends. We're all leading in some way. And I think those skills are so, so important because that helps us from making very detrimental mistakes, hurting somebody's feelings, um, making the work environment toxic. It's not always from the top up. Sometimes it's who you're right next to that is making it so toxic for you. So it's very, it's they're very valuable Skills, their people skills, they apply to personal and professional. So that's where that's, you can tell I'm passionate about it. I'm like, everyone's a leader. So,
0: (laughs) well, and that's huge. Even what you said that bad leaders can't hide anymore, that is very true. And what I'm finding is I'm feeling or seeing a lot of what I read as insincerity when it comes Mm -hmm. to people trying to appear to be progressive, appear to be interested in serving all of their clients equally, and mm-hmm. it's falling flat because we have access to more information than ever before as consumers. So yeah. just pretending to care about a certain group of people, it's, it's going to be an issue because yeah. when you're trying to fake it, there are going to be all these areas where you're vulnerable to exposure yeah. Now, if it really is a true cultural value of your organization, then of course mistakes can possibly happen, but it mm-hmm. won't be a disaster. Like yes. it won't be a PR nightmare yes. where your insincerity is revealed. It will just be, oh, humans are flawed. And sometimes we say things that are inappropriate. Sometimes we do things that are if yeah. It's a thing that happens. So what do you tell people who are completely new to the concept of everyone being a leader, and who are maybe scared of that responsibility because they either don't see themselves that way,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or they're afraid of being caught dropping the ball, or you know, what yes. time people are so afraid of?
1: I do think people are afraid of making mistakes, and I do think it's more than just telling people that they're a leader. You have to create this this environment that we're we're a learning organization, meaning that we are here to learn. We're going to learn from mistakes, whether you're in the top position or a lateral position, whatever it may be, we all make mistakes. And I think that's really huge. People need to see their superiors be vulnerable as such and own up to their mistakes and say, how are we going to learn from this? But what I like that you said was when you asked how if they don't see themselves as a leader. And I think that's the very foundation of it is really developing that leader identity and that is, I think, the first and foremost that people need to do, because you can't lead efficiently or confidently if you don't see yourself as a leader. And I think that's also sometimes the hardest thing to get people to see themselves, because the traditional the t- traditional idea of a leader is like the boss who looks down on everybody and who makes all the decisions. And I think that is something I'm really trying to push away, is that a leader is supposed to have all the answers. And that's not the case. It's that... Leading people is the bare minimum term of a leader is influencing people. You can influence people. So oftentimes I think to help people be leaders is to be more collaborative with them and do a more shared leadership. I am very much which I laugh. I sometimes think this annoys my staff, but they're they'll come to me, what should we do? And I come back, well, what do you think we should do? And so that's not to say that I'm a bad leader, but I want to hear their ideas because they often have way better ideas than I ever could. And oftentimes your best ideas are coming from people who you lead and your role is to help guide those thoughts, to help guide them and being confident in those decisions. And so I think oftentimes Not handholding, but supporting people emotionally and mentally to have confidence in themselves helps build that leader identity and to let them know that it is not a job description. It's not how much you make. It's not your role. It's not who answers to you. That's not what a leader is. You have to really get down to the bare minimum. And I think also pulling in the personal aspect, because I really think if people can see themselves as leaders in their personal life, it will translate over to the professional life. People have families, they have friends, they have passions, volunteer projects that they work on, and they are leaders in every day. Sometimes you're just a leader of yourself. You just, you, you lead yourself half the time. You, you wake up every day and say, I'm going to do this, 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 I'm reaching these goals. You're leading yourself. You are a leader. So, I know it sounds like I've just repeated a billion things, but essentially it's just building that leadership identity is the first step. And then you build on top of that and give them a little more confidence, push them a little outside of their comfort zone and letting them know that you will mess up because everyone does, but that's okay because leaders mess up, we're human. I
0: love that perspective. That takes a lot of pressure off knowing that perfection is not required. Mm -hmm. A certain level of knowledge is not required. So a lot of people are really reluctant to step forward and make suggestions because they're afraid, oh, I don't know enough yet. I can't say anything. I can't stand up for what I feel very strongly about because I don't have the argument to back it up. Mm -hmm. And that isn't required. Now, when it comes to leading yourself or understanding that you can be a leader in your own life, Mm -hmm. what does it look like when you don't accept that you are the leader of your life so that we can have an understanding of what does it look like when you have that mindset of being a leader, even when there are no other people, what is the difference?
1: So I think sometimes, okay. So the difference here, in my opinion, is that if you always need somebody else to lead, then you're always looking to tell people what to do. And oftentimes that creates control freaks and that, Mm -hmm. that creates the need for some sense of control power whatever it may be to tell people we're going to do this 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 now if you are a leader in your own life what it looks like if you don't believe that is that you always need somebody to reassure you in your decisions and that's hard and i know what that's like cuz i'm a very indecisive person so as far as a leader it's should i do this yes or no you're you're ruminating on it you need 50 different opinions i used to be that person who would have to text all 20 of my friends And then get overwhelmed with their varying responses. And then I still didn't know what to do. And so I think when you're a leader in your life, you're able to make decisions and be confident in your decision, but also confident that if it goes wrong, that you're going to be okay, that um, you're willing to accept all options or all outcomes. But as far as when it, if you only feel like a leader, when you are, have people around you, that's where. I feel like personal growth lacks because you always need somebody that not to, not to boss around, but you always need, you, you need that, that group around you to feel some sense of confidence in being a leader where if you are confident individually, then that'll help you when you are with the group surrounding you. If that makes sense.
0: That's really deep. That does make sense. And I feel like I've seen that probably everyone has seen it. If you weren't able to pinpoint why you if you've been micromanaged before Mm
1: -hmm. and you've
0: had someone who was a leader by name, by title, but didn't really seem to actually be an effective leader Mm -hmm. because people didn't listen to them or respond to them. People didn't really seem to be able to accept that they should be in charge. Mm-hmm. Those people who always have to tell you, I'm in charge, so we have to do this. Yes. If you have to keep saying it, you're not.
1: Yeah, yes. <laughs> I totally believe that. If people have to say something enough, then you obviously don't feel it or it's not true. You, right. Your action should just show. And that's a lot of times what leadership is. It's not, like I said, it's not a title. It's not saying I'm the leader. People, oftentimes, people who are natural born leaders or emerge as leaders in, in situations, they just, those are those people that everyone just seems to turn to and look to when things go wrong or everyone just gravitates to. And that's something that's like an aura you have. That's not because that person said I'm the leader now. So to your point, it's, it's not, it's not saying it or demanding it. It just is who you are. So when you can feel on an individual level, everyone else will feel it around you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That is so profound. And that relationship between your interest in personal development and self-help I think is really kind of unique I'm also completely obsessed with self-help books in general <laughs> and just knowing that growth is something that should be happening in all areas of our life and mm-hmm. if you do it in one area it helps you in all areas is a concept that I am always fascinated with knowing that if you're working on your yourself and you're learning how to lead yourself, it's going to help you in business and relationships all over the place. So how do you kind of explain the need to be interested in ongoing growth to people who aren't naturally drawn to that? Because there seem to be some people that are very self-aware, very introspective, and they love that. Yeah. And then there are people who are just like, why you think too much? That's what they usually say to people oh. like this.
1: <laughs> if, if I had a penny or dollar every time someone told me I think too much and it's funny. It's yeah, I it is. It is interesting to see two types of people like that, because. Obviously, being in my graduate program, I'm surrounded by people who are into this and it's easy to assume that everyone is because, like, this is great. Oh my goodness, I learned this new concept. And then you talk to other people, and they're just—they're like, "That's what you read in your free time." And I'm like, "You don't read that in your free time." Um, and so, I think I do think part of it is starting at that that minimum level. I did notice. A lot of people in that had attended my self-awareness class, that was the first time they had heard about self-awareness or understood the concept and understood the power of being self-aware. I think sometimes people think they're a lot less powerful than they are over their actions and their thoughts and what they can do. And I also think as time goes on, the older you get, the more you think, well, this is the way I am. I hear it all the time from my mom, actually. Um I'm six years old. This is the way I am. You're not going to tell me any different. And my big thing is, I don't age. Does not matter. You can, you should be growing from the day you're born until the day you know you're no longer here on this earth. Because life is too precious and short to not try and be the best version of yourself. To think you're just done and at a dead end. Humans are way too complex for that. We have so much case, so much untapped potential. Everybody does, and so. I think it all starts with people starting with self-awareness, realizing you can control what you think, the way you act, the way it affects others, but also building that confidence and making them interested in in what they can do. I think people don't realize what they can do. They just say, "Well, I've done this, so that's just that's just who I am." And I I like to challenge it and say that's not who you are. You aren't just this, you aren't just that. Humans are so complex and I do think and this might just be the nerd in me. I think the brain is so fascinating. And I think sometimes just reading books on behavior and psychology and what our brains trick us into thinking. Oh, it, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so crazy. And I, so I think starting with those foundational levels helps people become more interested because when you seek to understand how your brain works, it's kind of like a rabbit hole. You just want more and more. It really
0: is. It's so, to me, all of that is fascinating. And learning how your brain develops like ruts that you Mm -hmm. can get stuck in because that's how we are able to make decisions really quickly. Mm -hmm. But if we don't question those, then the decisions we make maybe are not trustworthy. We're yes. not in alignment with what we really want to be doing. Like if you have an overarching mission for your life, or like, this is my personal value statement. Yes. You may not know if you aren't self-aware that you have patterns that are already in your head that you have to do work to get out of to like, yes, the wheel out of the rut.
1: And I do think when you say that you have to do the work to get the wheel out of the rut, I think that's what hinders people sometimes because, and you see it all the time now, people have a hard time admitting they're wrong or people have a hard time admitting that they, they may not be very knowledgeable in this area. They may have been behaving a certain way that wasn't right. And I think people need to let go trying to be right all the time. It's not about being right. Mm-hmm. Personal development is, you know, you're not always right. You know, you have room to grow and you look at that more as an opportunity versus, um A threat to your identity, or a threat to who you thought you were. If you If you look at your identity as being a little more fluid, knowing that who you are today is probably going to be different than who you are in five years because of life experiences and knowledge, you don't beca- you're not as defensive. You're not as scared to look at yourself and say, "Ooh, maybe I have a lot of room to grow in that area. So I think that's also what hinders people. So going back to that learning mindset, that identity of I'm going to continually grow because I'm a leader in my life. It's starting with that foundational aspect. But when you said that the hard work, that's also hard because it is hard work. And that, that sometimes people, it, it's constant thinking until something new becomes natural. So I do think that people detour. <laughs>
0: sometimes they're like, no. <laughs> Exactly. And, and that just makes so much sense. So I think that it's natural for us to be afraid of change. And sometimes that's pushback you get from your brain as well to yeah. resist things that require effort mm-hmm. and that require work. But yeah, so interesting. The need to be right is the biggest barrier, I think,
1: to growth. It is. It really is. It's like a sickness right now. Everyone needs to be right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by the Live and Work Joyfully community. Live and Work Joyfully is an inclusive community that is for anyone who's ready to upgrade themselves. This is where self-improvement meets professional development. And it's all under one umbrella. People in nutrition already know how you fuel your body and how you relate to food and your body really affects your ability to thrive in the workforce. It affects your energy levels and the emotional bandwidth you have during the business day. That's why it made so much sense to marry these two things, your happiness at home and your happiness at work. Be sure to check out the community visiting www.dahliakinsey.com under the community tab. Don't worry. The link is in the show notes. All right, let's get back to the episode. (laughs) They want to be right more than they want to invite more love into their life, mm-hmm. maybe more growth in a way that would make them happier, even. If you really think about it, do you want to be right more than you want to be happy? And if so, right, you need to see somebody about that. Like that's a real, <laughs> well,
1: a real problem. Bigger
0: <laughs> and you can see it in relationships all the time, like one on one things. Because no two people are going to be a hundred percent in agreement with all mm-hmm. things, and that's why I think it's interesting being in a relationship is one of the many opportunities in life we have to grow, but mm-hmm. you can decide sometimes to opt out of it when the growth starts to feel too uncomfortable, yeah, or you can hang in there and yeah. oh exactly, and just really learn that you can be different from someone else mm-hmm. and learn from them in some instances and in other instances learn to make room for other people's individuality.
1: Yes, 100%. I like how you said when it gets too uncomfortable and I think that's where people dip <laughs> or or they just they like revert to being a little kid throwing a tantrum yes. or name calling i mean we see it all the time in the news name calling whatever it may be it's such an immature way to be but it's definitely a coping mechanism it's you're making me uncomfortable because you're challenging what i thought and you're challenging what i believe or even you're challenging who i thought i was and so i'm just going to either shut down fight or flight <laughs>
0: yes and
1: be defensive
0: you're challenging who I thought I was. I think that brings like the most violent reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if somebody tells you like, oh, oh, that was so misogynistic, that thing that you said. And you're like, yes. no, no, I love, I love women. I, yeah. I have a daughter. I have a mother. I have blah, 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 <laughs> And not even knowing that all of that, those don't mean you're not a misogynist. Because yeah. if you have to be in relation to that woman to mm-hmm. care about her well-being that isn't a, that's yes. not progressive that's not a big deal like oh yes. oh, you mean you're a human you care about the people that you know like literally yes. everybody does that terrorists yes. do that like everybody does that
1: <laughs> yes. oh my gosh yes it's so true it's, uh, it's interesting I wish people and that's why I say identity should be fluid as far as and I'm not talking about, you know, the, the main identities that we have, but this I, I get very lately, I get very irritated with hardcore labels that people have. And I, I I talk all the time about ideologies that people lead with their ideology versus leading just as a, as a leader, as a human. And what I mean by that is we see all the time in politics, I'm this, so I have to believe this. And this is why nothing gets done. Nothing, No change occurs or massive change because people are too held into these groups because it's easier to be a part of something big versus being the brave one to step out in the middle and say, hey, let's hear the other side. Hey, that's a good idea that was introduced by the other side. And so that's where I think when people fight back and they're like, whoa, you know what I mean? They 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 can't face the fact that they've either held on to a certain view of themselves, a certain label that they had, instead of really looking at themselves on an individual level versus this ideology they follow, or this facade that they have. And so that's where if you can tell, I'm very struggled. I'm very um, frustrated with current leadership in, in all aspects. What I mean, all leadership?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just so funny because I think one of the issues is very few people who are in formal leadership positions mm-hmm. have gotten any training around leadership. Yeah, if, if they did, it might have been the crusty old, like you said, like the boss is a dictator yes. type of leadership training where, Oh, you can't trust the individuals that report to you or that you're supposed to be guiding because people are just naturally bad news and they need to be kept in line. You can really tell there's this lack of trust in the people that people are guiding. And so they hide information from them. They don't include them in decisions. You know, the lack Mm -hmm. of transparency really tells you, you don't trust the people you're supposed to be leading always lie to them trying to control how they'll feel by yes. giving them like half of the story. But like you said, these days, information's going to keep on leaking out. And then how can you lead when there's no trust? How can yes. you, lead when you never show up as yourself, you mm-hmm. always show up as this kind of just impersonal figure yes. that a rigid identity Linked to some bigger group that you kind of mm-hmm. hide behind. So we yes. don't know who you really are.
1: Mm-hmm. We don't
0: know who you've decided to affiliate yourself with. And now you're yes. going to follow whatever you think kind of fits with that branding. Yes. And we don't know who you are as a person.
1: Yes. I could not agree more. And you brought up two really good points one about trust. And I think I was reading this in school or in conversation, but some organization, I can't remember what it was, but I love the concept. Their concept was the the traditional way with hierarchy is that you have to earn trust. Mm. And so you're a new hire, but you need to earn my trust. But this organization, or at least this theory, I can't remember where it was from, was that We feel we're giving you the full trust. The only way you're going to lose it is by things that you do to say otherwise, that we shouldn't trust you. And I love that concept because it shouldn't be we're letting you in this organization now earn my trust. like It shouldn't be like that, that this is as a leader, you're supposed to trust your followers. And if you don't, that's on you to build them to a point where you can trust them or see that they're not fit for the organization, whatever it may be. So I really love the concept of trust. And then I, I love the concept, the concept of showing, being still being a person, not hiding behind your job title, your role. And I think that's a lot of pressure leaders put on themselves, is that they're supposed to be stoic and not show fear, not show frustration. And yes, there's a time and place. But I definitely think, especially during a time of the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement, you need to show some vulnerability and your followers need to see that because otherwise they think you don't care. And they also think you can't level with them. They think that you're not experiencing the same frustrations as them. So I, I know, so I always say there's a place for fake positivity and sometimes people overdo it where your whole staff <laughs> is in shambles mentally, emotionally. I know lunch ladies felt this more than any, but not, I shouldn't say more than anybody, but felt this very much when the pandemic hit because we had to reinvent our whole programs. We, there, we're in the midst of a pandemic, but we can't yeah. quarantine in our house. We have to feed kids, whatever it may be. And so sometimes it's, you know, when you go on social media, you see people who are like, we're feeding our kids and this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. And sometimes I, I remember texting some of my school nutrition friends. I'm like, I just wish somebody would say this kind of sucks. Like this is, <laughs> this, is, this is really hard. I remember that, that first a week or two. I was just in tears after work, just because it was so emotionally, physically, mentally exhausting. And all I wanted to hear instead of the, we're the, lunch leads can do anything, which we know we can. I just wanted somebody to say, Hey, this is really hard. This stinks. This This is not fun. Yes. We love feeding kids, but this is hard. And it's, I think being able to show that. And I know my boss and I just made a funny video, but kind of a, an informational video for our staff virtually. And I love that she had started with saying she's going to struggle with the same issues as them when it comes to going back to work with child care. And just hearing that, that she's leveling with them, saying, I'm no different than you. This is very hard on all of us. And I think that's so important. And people need to show that personal side and kind of show when you're feeling down, feeling not the best. And you don't need to show every time you feel crappy. Sometimes you need to pipe up for the rest of the crew. But I think that's so important to just show sometimes that you're not always chipper. You don't always have the answers. And sometimes you're frustrated.
0: Right. And I think that's a form of compassion. And Mm -hmm. I do think I recently heard the term toxic positivity.
1: And Mm -hmm. when I heard
0: it, I was like, oh my goodness, that resonates. Because I remember, I don't know if the right word is that I'm a I wouldn't even say I'm necessarily a realist. I will say that I grew up feeling a lot of stress and anxiety Mm -hmm. around ongoing microaggressions and ongoing mm-hmm. issues with different systems of oppression, whether it's related to being a femme presenting person in the world, you know, mm-hmm. being a black person in the United States, even though I'm getting lots of information from other places about being a black person all over the place can be very difficult. Yes. But just being told Oh, well, oh, you're just so negative. You're so negative. If someone comes to you and they're presenting a real problem mm-hmm. and you shut them down and you reframe it as the problem is your attitude instead of seeing and validating that, mm-hmm. no, there is a real thing going on here. This person is being treated poorly. This yeah. is the time for me to express compassion, not for me to suppress someone else's expression mm-hmm. of their lived experience. You know, if, yes. if a woman comes to you and says, Oh, I just felt so uncomfortable in this meeting, you know, people made these really like overly sexualized comments and it just didn't seem appropriate for business. You don't say like, Oh, you just need to suck it up. Like this, yes. is just this is just like, this is just whatever. Yes. Is it though? Or should you really listen to that person and don't, use positive don't weaponize positivity. Yeah. Like what a nasty thing to do like being yes. someone who has a sunny outlook is wonderful and it's so refreshing. But yes. that doesn't mean that there aren't also bad things happening. Yeah. And when someone is trying to express their distress, telling them how to feel is not helpful.
1: It is not. I that's something I've actively been working on as a listener is realizing that when people come to you, sometimes they're not even looking for a solution. They just want you to validate the way they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think as somebody, if you're a caring person, you are going to naturally try and find a solution or try and do something to make them feel better. I remember reading, if you follow, a lot of people do with leadership, Brene Brown. She she very much talks about you often, what we do is we discredit the way they're feeling. And we not that we Mm mean to, but even saying, Like I never thought about this, but saying "Oh, you you poor thing," that's so awful. That's making them feel like they're they're small, they're they're helpless. That you're it's it's condescending. I never thought about that. I use that. I used to use that term all the time. Oh, you poor thing. Um, or I'd be like, "Oh, well, it could always be worse." Or just keep your head up. You know, when someone's really upset, and I really now I've been better at saying, "I'm so sorry you feel this way." That's I. That's horrible. I I can't relate but if i can imagine that's that's got to be such a horrible feeling i always tell people feel what you need to feel because it's going to come out regardless so if you if you try and always be positive it's going to present itself in some other way and usually it's not a healthy way it's not a effective way so you know it's you're like you said you need to validate people's feelings not weaponize with positivity and show people that you're on their side You may not have the answer right now, but you're willing to do something and work to find the answer. And I do know sometimes with leaders, when you feel like people are coming at you with all their problems and emotions, it's so draining. And I do think boundaries are necessary to say, hey, can we talk about this in an hour or in two hours? I promise I'll make time for you, but you need to mentally set yourself up for it. So I do think there is a point in that, but I, I can see how it's easy for leaders to just discredit other people's emotions, especially when you're trying to get the job done. But like you said, you can't, you can't tell somebody that the way they feel is wrong. And right. I think we do that all the time, especially if you're involved with making them the feel, if you're involved with causing how they feel. I see yeah. people all the time say, well, that's not what I meant. That's not, you took it the wrong way. It doesn't yes, matter. It doesn't yes. matter. It doesn't yeah, matter. you I literally it.
0: put it a hundred percent back on that person yeah. that I didn't do anything. You received it wrong. Yes.
1: <laughs> it doesn't. And that's where self-awareness comes. That's where you stop back and you say, I'm so sorry. I made you feel that way. Is there something I can do or what could I have done differently? And I think somebody can, re- somebody can take an apology like that. They can't accept an apology mm-hmm. that says, I'm sorry, you just took it the wrong way. Oh, yeah, that's not an apology.
0: <laughs> right. I, I know a lot of people think that's an apology.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just because you said sorry doesn't mean <laughs> you apologize.
0: I'm so sorry you're so sensitive. I didn't <laughs> know that. Oh, wow. Is that an apology on your planet? Yeah. <laughs> I love that you give actual words that we can use because sometimes it is so uncomfortable. Like if you yeah. are a caring person and or you're kind of empathic, some other people's feelings Feel like your feelings and mm-hmm. they're so uncomfortable, you do want to resolve them. You want yeah. that heavy energy to go away. And so it's natural to just try and make yeah. it go away. But yeah. learning to sit with that discomfort a little bit and to mm-hmm. just, like you said, try any one of those, it's surprising to see how much, how meaningful that is. I remember mm-hmm. this was like in, I don't even know, maybe. Like 2000, 2001. I mean, the 90s were very problematic. Like, (laughs) people were still doing blackface even on SNL. So, crazy times. And everybody was always saying, like, that everything was fine. It was a bizarre, bizarre time. But I remember I was on a trip. I was visiting a friend in Spain who is very white, very cis male, just, you know, enjoying all the stuff that comes with that. But at the same time, very empathic. And I don't even remember what I was complaining about, but he just really listened and looked right at me and said, Oh wow. I'm so sorry. That must be so difficult. And it was like, a light bulb went off. Yes. Like, that all I was looking for because it felt like a weight oh. lifted. Yes. Because every time I would express like this person said that to me and I was in the store and blah, 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 blah. And they're yeah. like, I'm sure you didn't misunderstand it or do you did," You know, I never had anyone just validate and yes. I'm like, I can't believe how much better that made me feel.
1: And that was also the end of it because there's nothing we could do to fix it. Yes.
0: All I wanted was for him to hear it.
1: Yes. You just want to be heard. And it's funny that you said a light bulb went off because I think people don't even realize that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. I know um, sometimes when you uh, when or when I complain or I'm upset, it's like no matter what somebody tells you the solution, you just don't want to hear it. You're like, that's right. all I want. No, it doesn't sound right. Why is it irritating me? And it's because all I really wanted was someone to say, Yes, that's horrible. Because the common thing that people do is pull in their own experiences to try and relate to you. And sometimes I do this and I try because it's it's an effort to be, I understand, but Oftentimes, if people it's, no. It's when people are upset, they don't want to hear about your problems right now. <laughs> they, they're sure you understand in some capacity or trying to understand. So, right because that's why they came to you. Yes, exactly. So it's more just people just want to be heard. And even if even if in your even if you think if you were in their shoes you wouldn't be as upset, that doesn't matter. You need to acknowledge that they are upset and you're. You, you feel for them and you you can imagine how upsetting it could be. And people just want to be validated in that sense. And so I feel like as a leader, people shut out the emotion because they're afraid they're going to have to come up with solutions. And that's not necessarily the case. And some things, some things need a solution. But I have noticed during this COVID time with planning and reopening of schools, people are trying to shut out emotion as much yes. as possible because I think they're afraid of a floodgate opening up of a soundboard and people are just saying how they feel but like i said if you don't if you don't show any emotion if you don't allow people to be heard it's going to present itself in a different way and it's most likely going to show up in the workplace people lashing out at each other people not putting in their effort calling in sick to work because they think you don't care and mm. so people need to feel feel heard especially during times of uncertainty and i i I know leaders are in such a tough position especially in schools right now. They're in, no matter what they choose, somebody's upset, which is very hard to yeah. to I mean I'm sure they've lost countless hours of sleep over this. But I do think leaders in general have start have veered away from the emotion, veered away from having multiple voices at the table out of fear more than anything. Not that they don't care, but they're scared of what's going to come out from it you can't be scared. Yeah.
0: And you're right. People are under so much pressure Mm
1: -hmm. as
0: a decision maker. That it also may feel a little bit like, well, why do I have to make all this room for everybody else's feelings mm-hmm. and moaning and groaning when no one is listening to all that I'm going through and I yeah. show up every day? So how do you create, you, you mentioned setting boundaries, which I think is so, so important. And if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of the people around you, whether that's at work or at home. How do you create those boundaries so that when you invite other people in and you invite people to kind of air their grievances, that it doesn't completely drain you and make you resentful?
1: So I think it all starts with how you set the tone from the start. I do think people sometimes need a little guidance as far as how conversations are supposed to go. So I think as a leader, start off by acknowledging the emotions. Saying I, I know often what we say in our department. I, I understand how um, exhausting this may be, how confusing, how frustrating, because you're not getting a lot of information, and we totally understand. So first, validating because then people don't feel like they have to spew their emotions to get you to understand. So I think validating first, sharing some personal aspect of your life, what, how this has affected you as a person, is very important because I think also, also people also need to be empathetic towards leaders because they don't see always what's behind the scenes. And so they think, oh, they're just sitting pretty at the top and not thinking about how this affects me. And trust me, many leaders are thinking about how it affects everybody, which makes it such a tough decision. So I think also they need to show empathy. So by showing how it's affected you, they can have that empathy towards you. And then I also think just clearly communicating what the conversation's about, what the end goal is, and maybe there isn't a definite... End goal. You could say, we may not come up with a solution, but I'm here because I want to hear your concerns in a constructive manner. We like to say with our staff, this is not here to, we're not here just to complain. We want solutions to come out of this. So I think people say, I want to hear how you're feeling, but I also want to hear what you think we should do. And I think incorporating people into the brainstorming process, into the planning process, is such a level of respect for people to say, wow, you actually care what I think. Mm-hmm. And that gives them buy-in for whatever you choose because they knew that they at least, you, you at least looked to them to hear their perspective and you you found their, their thoughts and their ideas valuable. So I think keeping the eye on the prize as far as what the goal of the program is and having some tricks in your pocket for when it veers off. So yeah. that's also hard. So that's when people get out of control, sometimes you need like a, A referee just okay let's take a moment everyone pause this is getting heated once again acknowledging the motion this is getting heated i understand people are frustrated and making sure that you give everyone a chance to speak because people can easily get cut off and also i think another thing too is leaders need to be self-aware how they respond to people's ideas i see it all the time it's even if it's an out-of-the-box idea and I think people need to say, there is no such thing as a bad idea. We want to hear it all. Even if you think it's crazy, I want to hear it. I'm going to record it. We're going to reflect on it. We'll dissect it. I think sometimes leaders don't, they forget their face says more sometimes than anything. So even even oftentimes leaders with colleagues that they don't maybe personally like, or that's not their their cup of tea, right. they can... It, it says it on their face, they'll cut it short. They won't ask any, yeah. Okay. Or it's like, or if a leader always responds with why it won't work, that's another thing. Don't, don't right. start with that. talk about why it can work before you talk about why it won't work. So kind of, I think as leaders, they really need to be self-aware of how they respond because your face says everything, your body language says everything. And then people never want to share again because they think you don't care.
0: Right. Yeah, that is extremely helpful. That just really helps to set the tone for what it's going to be. I had a really effective leader in the past who, it, you're right, it is annoying a little bit when somebody puts it back on you and says, well, what would you suggest? Mm-hmm. But even though it, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted her to fix the problem, It always led to a better outcome. Mm -hmm. So she would like take in the suggestions for resolution. She basically made it clear that anytime someone had a grievance or an issue, if you didn't have an idea for how to resolve it, Like, that's not a thing. That's not how she operated. And it didn't matter if your idea was fully fleshed out or if it was going to be the one that was chosen. We just needed to know that you cared enough about this problem Mm -hmm. to think about how it could be fixed. And for you to understand, if even you have no idea how it could be resolved, what if it's one of those things (laughs) that we can't
1: resolve? Yes. And that's the answer. It can't be resolved. But how can we make it better?
0: Exactly. Or how can we learn to tolerate that not everything's perfect? Because that's a whole nother skill set.
1: Yes. I always talk about how perfectionism can be. I look at perfectionism sometimes as more of a coping me- mechanism than anything, a control mechanism. But I just, no joke, just texted my friend today. It's one of my favorite phrases. I didn't create it, but progress over perfection. And yes. I think. That is huge as a leader to reinforce to people that we shouldn't be striving for perfection because there's no such thing. And oftentimes, if you are a perfectionist, you're going to focus on the wrong deal details and you're going to put way too much effort in the wrong, in the wrong things detail is very important. I will admit I'm the farthest thing from a type A person, which I know is frustrating for people. And my boss is type A. So we laugh because we're like yin and yang. So it actually works out really well. But because she's so great at detail, sometimes she catches things, little things, but have big impact. Right. And so it's great. But sometimes when we're talking, she'll, she'll just like take it back and she'll just say, okay, I'm overcomplicating this because sometimes that's what happens with perfectionism. So I definitely think perfectionism has its benefits, but also can be a huge hindrance because it it puts a lot of pressure on people. People get very perfectionists are very tough on themselves. So, well, yeah,
0: and then there's something to be said for something being done. Mm-hmm. You know, done is better than perfect is my motto. Yeah, because once it's done, chances are it could still be changed. Yes, and you can improve totally. on it. And if it's just like the beta version who tries to make their beta perfect? It literally is for testing. So you have to be flexible and know going into a project that what you first come up with, no matter how much blood, sweat and tears you put into it, it needs to be able to evolve. Like you need to be open to, no project is your baby. Your babies are your babies. Like, you know, (laughs) just you can change it. And if it doesn't work, you know, your next iteration will be better because you just yeah. learned so much from the mistake. I really, I love that framing that that learning mindset, like you mentioned, if you understand that one, perfection is not possible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And two, that there are so many lessons to be learned in mistakes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the goal is to keep moving, not to nail it right out the gate. Yeah. You know? I think that if people could just grasp that, if nothing else, we'd be in a better position. Yes. In all areas.
1: Totally. Because you can think about a project and try and work out every detail, every scenario to the point that you'll never actually do it. And that's the problem. And I know my friend who's a director in Arizona, they started feeding this week, but they're virtual, but it was obviously every time we do things now, it's a whole new program. So obviously there's areas for for a mistake, but I remember telling her she's like, honestly, I just can't wait for the first day so we can just rip off the band aid and then figure out what needs to be fixed. And I'm like, that's such a great mindset. Yeah, do this, and so we can figure out how to make it better because the only way you're going to work towards perfect is by figuring out what's not working. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: this is what's crazy. It's like the information is all in the doing. Yeah, and we are so afraid of making mistakes and people knowing that we don't know everything, mm-hmm. which. Spoiler, everybody already knows that. So <laughs> yeah, totally. you learn so much more quickly once you start doing the thing. Yes. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on. So many yes, awesome takeaways. Too. This is just making me feel, because I have that interest in yeah. self-improvement too, I'm like, maybe we need to bring more of these conversations into this space because like you mentioned, so many people have never thought about it before. When Mm -hmm. I was at your session, based on the audience response, I was assuming everyone in the audience was kind of already into self-improvement stuff because the room was full. Yeah. But with fancy, not fancy, with A&C, you never know if the room is full because people totally resonate with your topic. Yes. Or because... (laughs) The room is full. <laughs>
1: yeah, so true. You were like the set. you were playing B. You were the open one. And yeah, like, you never know. You never know. And I honestly, I got such. That was my first time speaking at ANC, and I was so nervous. And it was kind of a—it's no longer an out there topic, but considering what's typically talked about, I mean, I—I I, I was nervous because I didn't know how people are going to yeah. respond. I was just really shocked how many people. Something's a. A simple concept, the foundational concept, was really impactful to people because I don't know if you remember in my session, what I did is, and this goes back to leadership too, if you're going to tell people to work on themselves, you better lay it all out how you have to work on yourself. So I had my picture up and talked about all my weaknesses. And I think... That was powerful in itself because it's it's me saying nobody's perfect here, and so kind of giving people the okay to look at themselves and say I'm not perfect. That's okay. So it was, I. It's funny because when people came in there, I was like, Do people even really know what I'm talking about, or like you said, was everything else just full? And so I was really. It was a really great response. It was such like probably one of my most proud moments so far in my career, and really gave me that push to go after more leadership, knowledge and training. And I have a feeling you're similar to me where it's just never enough. You know, you just need more information. (laughs) So I'm sure we could have so many conversations and so far. the Conversation.
0: Yeah. I definitely hope you'll come back on in the future. Tell us what is, how do we spell your name and how do we find you on LinkedIn so we can keep in touch with you?
1: Okay, so it's Stephanie with an F. I always gotta preface that. It's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E. And my last name's Janini. So people always think it's a J, but it's not. It's G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I. So you'll find me on LinkedIn. It has the S and S after it for school. People they'll know, they'll know who that is. And I'm coming out with some more leadership. Content or resources. It's a goal for myself this year once I finish my grad program. So once I get that up and running, I will definitely shoot you more information and I hope to help more people with leadership and personal development. But all I can say is I love what you are doing. I love the various topics on your podcast. And I just really thank you for this opportunity and bringing me on. I've enjoyed this so much. This is a highlight of my Sunday. Thank you so
0: much. Thank you. And I will put your link in the show notes so everyone can find it.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Wasn't that an awesome conversation? I really appreciate Stephanie taking us a little deeper than a lot of other speakers typically do. What was your greatest takeaway? Be sure to reach out to me on social media and share what has 2020 meant for you in terms of personal growth and leadership? Even though this has been a very trying year, I've heard from so many people that they have experienced more personal growth this year than they ever have. In less than 12 months, we haven't even finished the year out, and most of the stress began around March. It's been a turbulent one, but there are some silver linings. Make sure you follow Stephanie on LinkedIn and keep up with what is to come with the leadership resources that she's going to be developing at the end of this year and in the new year. Remember, the only fee for the show is that you share it with others every time you hear something useful. And hopefully that's every episode.
1: All right. I'll see you next time.